Legacy Builders, strategies for building successful family enterprises. Brought to you by Beacon Family Office at Asante Financial Management Limited. I'm your host, Corey Gagnon. And on this show, we explore global ideas, concepts, and models that help family enterprises better navigate the complexities of family wealth. Let's dive right in and start learning how to take control of your wealth and realize the lasting legacy you're intentionally working towards. Together, we're building legacies. Today, I'm extremely excited to introduce our esteemed guest who's here to shed light on the exciting intersection of financial literacy and family enterprise. My personal goal today is to be the most curious person in our conversation with Cindy Radu. Now, Cindy isn't your typical wealth transition advisor. She's a distinguished professional with over 35 years of experience helping families navigate the complexities of wealth. Her expertise spans legal, fiduciary, trust, and governance matters acquired through her work in professional service firms, financial institutions, and family offices. Cindy's dedicated her career to assisting individuals, family enterprises, business owners, and family offices in navigating the intricate web of opportunities and challenges that come with wealth. Cindy boasts an impressive list of credentials, including BCom, LLB, LLM, DEP, ICDD, and Family Enterprise Advisor. However, what truly sets her apart is her down-to-earth approach and her passion for making the world of finance accessible to all. But Cindy isn't just about numbers and legal jargon. She's an active member of some fantastic organizations like Tech Canada, Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners, or STEP, the Purposeful Planning Institute, and the Family Firm Institute, all of which reflect her commitment to learning and sharing knowledge. What truly distinguishes Cindy is her dedication to giving back. She's a global speaker, author, and has served on committees and boards for various professional groups. Her remarkable achievements include winning the prestigious Trusted Advisor of the Year Award, at the Global Step Private Client Awards. And even more recently, it was announced that Cindy is a finalist in the 2023 Step Worldwide Family Business Advisory Practice of the Year category. Without further ado, let me give a warm welcome to Cindy. Hi, Corey. Thank you so much for that intro. Nice to be here. Thank you. Let's dive right in, shall we? I'm ready. All right. Cindy, imagine you're delivering a commencement speech to a graduating class, and you have the chance to inspire them with your story. How would you begin your speech to convey the incredible lessons and expertise that you've gained along your career? So one of the um, organizations that you mentioned in the intro was Purposeful Planning Institute, and I was just at my first actually in-person PPI conference in Denver. And the first session that we had was a workshop with a woman by the name of Esther Choi of Leadership Story Lab. And they put us at tables with people. You had to sit at a table with people that you didn't know. And we had a few of these really interesting speed rounds of questions, like tight, like two minutes that you had, right, to ask these questions. And the sort of outcome of this after a few rounds was to have somebody I had never met to actually write sort of this intro. And so I thought it would be fun to kind of share that because 
it, it was just really, really interesting. So a lot of these people are American. So, um, so this is this is what he wrote. If one gets the opportunity to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, shouldn't they do it? So what if they're about to get their AARP membership card? So that's like the retired person's thing in the U.S. So what if they don't know exactly where Mount Kilimanjaro is? When someone is in tune with themselves, their desires, their wishes, their abilities, they can do it. And... So I love this story because I told them the story about how I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro very spontaneously and summited the morning of my 50th birthday. So, of course, you know, that's not the sort of thing that people just kind of do spontaneously. But, um, you know, this idea of being spontaneous, but like noticing when opportunities come up and knowing that there's tons of support out there along the way. and. For my career, you know, when you talked about, um, you know, my introduction, you know, all these letters and everything behind my name, I've, I've just had so much good fortune and a lot of really hard times as well. But my, um, my first designation was commerce. And I remember being told in one of my accounting classes when I, I said to the professor after class one day, I don't understand how these John Labatt financial statements are pulled together. This was like about week two. And he's like, well, you probably won't pass this course, which I was like, oh, really? <laughs> so that's, a, for me, that was a challenge. And I ended up doing my CA. Um, and largely it was because I was told that I couldn't, and I was going to make sure that I could prove somebody very wrong on that. And I uh, ended up pretty much right after I got my CA as the controller at a law firm here in Calgary, which was um, like crazy because I was maybe 23 years old and I had a staff of about 17 people. And I think one of them was maybe younger than me. And I loved it. I loved the environment of the law firm, the people that I was working with. And as I was getting to my later 20s, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? I'm not going to, you know, for the rest of my career, I'm not going to have a bigger, better law firm that I'm going to work with. There's lots of great law firms, but um, so I decided to go to law school. So I did my, my LLB here at UFC. I ended up doing my master's out at UBC. Um, I clerked at the BC Court of Appeal. I co-authored the university textbook on taxation and estate planning in Canada with one of my professors from, from UFC. And that sort of put me on a whole other trajectory of what I call my BC or before child career where I now was making a name for myself really in this tax and trusts world uh, as, a, as a specialist in that, in that space. Um, and it was after I had my daughter that I took a really different track and really started back to a very different career path coming in on the financial institution side um, and then I was asked to start a trust company, which again, isn't the sort of thing that, you just know how to do, but you know it's just an opportunity. Figure it out. Okay, on to the next thing, and um, and that eventually evolved into the multifamily office space. And a few years ago, I decided to go out on my own so that I can work with high and ultra high net worth families, taking all this very interesting background and experience I've had to help them with their uh, wealth transition goals with their families. That's a great a great story and and a lot of things to actually fire that next generation through that you know as you said 
Cindy, spontaneous is really the big thing that I got out of it. Can we go back to that day or that moment? The professor told you that you probably wouldn't pass that class because that that really, to me, is uh, you know a pivotal point for yeah. you. And some people would take that, as you said, as an opportunity, and some people would really crush them. And tell me a little bit more of, of that decision. I mean, I remember it very clearly because it was one of those big auditorium bowls. And after the lecture, I went down, you know, to the pit where the professors stand and and I had my great big thick two-inch spine accounting book and I opened it to the page of these financial statements and he's like, like I'm just totally confused. And I was, I've just never, I don't think at that point had anybody tell me that I couldn't do something, <laughs> that I wasn't going to succeed. And I thought, well, at least I can try. I remember feeling, and and frankly, I was a little bit mad and I was going to show him <laughs> that, that, yes, I could. And I think, honestly, it was the only pure A that I got in accounting of all my accounting courses that I had to take. But it was really, yeah, it was absolutely pivotal. I think we have to cut ourselves some slack. I like get education for me is, you know, and we'll talk about this probably more in, in the time that we have together, but education and this idea of lifelong learning is core to my being. And I love learning. I uh, And so to have somebody kind of shoot down a desire to want to learn or want to know more, I just think is, is a real shame, especially in that kind of academic environment, like that just goes without saying. But there's, you know, more awareness of different learning styles, and everybody can learn, you know, we have different levels of capability and of interest, but it's really finding, you know, what are those things that are interest are interesting to you? What should you know? Because there's some things that people should have some very basic knowledge of, at least finding that kind of what's in it for me, like, why, why does this motivate me to want to learn this? And for me, it was a little bit of yeah, like I'm going to show you that I can I can do this in that moment. I like that. So a few great points there that I love to dive deeper into. And maybe if we kind of go to the, the most recent point there that you made, Cindy, of what's in it for me? Because I mm. think of, you know, some of these family enterprises where there might be something that's, that's written in a, a family governance document or something that the family's decided, here's what we're going to do to increase our our knowledge and, and capabilities as a family, but really going back to that, what's in it for me? How can how can families bring that into their their learning objectives and make sure that those members are are equally as aligned? Yeah, so I, I think you know it is some some reflection that people need to do individually as adult learners. Um, like, why is this important to me? in whatever that context is. I mean, education um, is empowering. Financial literacy is empowering. Um, it's not only for your own individual success in life, um, not the financial piece is the you know, ultimate litmus test, but we do want to be good stewards of, of our wealth. And I don't think a lot of people are encouraged to or taught to do that. You know, have a really interesting RBC report from 2017. So on education, so this is a 2017 report by RBC. And some of the stats are 51% of Canadian parents, only 51% have begun any kind of education process with their rising gen, with, it, with their, uh, their adult children. 
41% intend to start but haven't. And 10% are just kind of like you're on your own. So, you know, it's really interesting that like that's over 50%. 50% of people in families are just like, okay, we have all this wealth out here, but we're not really doing anything to help you learn how to use that wealth effectively to meet your goals, to you know, pass on to the next generation beyond ours and yours. Um, so there, there's a lot of learning opportunities that are there. And for whatever reason, um, this isn't something that people are focusing on. Wow. So 51% have started. Going back to your comment of what should you know? And it might be the difference, that line between the 51% and the 40, 41 that that intend to, where do they start? How, how do they even know what is that education or, or what are those skills that they want that next gen to have? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, um, so a lot of that is you don't even know what you don't know. Right. And so we'll, we'll just call generation one, the parents as generation one, and we'll, we'll talk about the, the adult children as generation, the children as generation two. I think, and I don't want to spend time kind of looking through the, the report right now, but I have in my mind that this, the number of people who had started education, really for them, what that was, was telling G2, generation two, how much wealth was there. That was like the very basic test is, okay, well, you, you know, this is how much wealth is there, but not even, not really taking it to the, to the next step. You know, what do we need to know? Well, there's lots of things that people should know. Um, working with advisors actually is a really important thing to understand. Like who are, who are the different advisors? What are their roles? You know, how do you evaluate advisors? How do you find a, a good connection? Um, you know, a lot of people just kind of default to their parents' advisors, or they'll whipsaw and go the other way, and they they'll, they'll say, "Well, I'm not going to have anything to do with you know my parents' advisors because they've maybe had a bad experience um, through that." Um, I feel like advisors have a tremendous overlooked opportunity to start having these types of conversations with uh, rising gen family members. Um, they, in my experience, typically do want to learn. They're just not, um, they're not really sure where to start and they're busy. So it's easy to put that off to put it off to another day. So we want to make it easy, inviting, engaging, and getting back to this, what's in it for me, you know, some families will use a bit of a carrot or stick approach. It's like, well, you need to do this education or you won't be able to participate in X, Y, Z. Uh, or it might be more the carrot where it's like, if you do this, then you're going to uh, be part of this. We're all going to go on a big family trip together, What you know, whatever it is. But really that incentive to truly learn needs to come from some sort of internal internal motivation. Um, certainly, there's technical topics that people should be uh, at least have a fundamental understanding of. Um, budgeting is a really, really important one. Um, you know, again, basic financial literacy, how to read a balance sheet, how to read an income statement, understanding, you know, investment terminology at its basic level. Um, those things are all 
important to learn. And certainly that's in your world. <laughs> I'm sure yep. you, you'll agree that that's important information to have. Um, but there's also things like trusts, um, which for me, that's one of my superpowers, I call it. I, I love trusts. Uh, I think they're a tremendously overlooked opportunity. Um, most family most families have a tr- of fa- families of wealth have a trust in their structure somewhere. It might be buried in a will, um, which we call a testamentary trust, uh, or it might be what we typically refer to as a family trust. But not understanding how these structures work and you know who is a trustee, what is their role in Canada? Very typically, historically, we haven't even told beneficiaries that they are beneficiaries of a trust. And of course, that's changing with some of the new changes in um, disclosure rules that are, are now in effect. But it's a huge opportunity for education. It's just a perfectly set up structure for creating a, a really tremendous education process. I like how you mentioned the responsibility and it. It really comes to that alignment of it's not just Gen 1 in, in your example or Gen 2 for the advisors, but you know, all three working together to ensure that they are increasing that literacy. And so, Cindy, you you mentioned many different um, components there, the basics of budgeting, financial statements, um, you know, even just the the terminologies that are used. Some of that might just come from not having that exposure to those conversations even, or could even be in the case where that first generation maybe doesn't necessarily understand as much what's what's happening. Anything where you can shed light on maybe even a, a shared journey together that you've seen or any stories where it's really worked well? Yeah. So there's there's a couple. So I'll, I'll start with mom, like mom and dad. And so the parents, I think often experts in whatever it is that they've done, they've created wealth, right? So they're they're smart people. But now we're getting into a field that is um, very different from typically what their comfort level was in terms of how they created the wealth, whatever their business is, for example. And so one example that um, relatively recently where um, I was contacted by a business owner in this scenario, the, the father, and um, they were doing an estate freeze, which we don't need to get into the details of, but basically a transaction to freeze the value of a business and, and share the future growth with um, other family members. And it's relatively simple conceptually, but it's a complex series of transactions. And the, um, the accountant was, although the accountant and the lawyer were saying you know, the same things in terms of the technical piece, there was a lot of stuff that was going on that the client was really confused about. And called to say, no, I just need some neutral help because I'm not sure. And if I ask my lawyer, they say this. And if I ask my accountant, they say the other thing. Uh, so it's confusing. And it's, it's again, you know, okay, we have our own jargon as advisors. In, you know, in my experience, technical advisors often aren't the best people to explain things to lay people. Uh, we're really good at explaining things to other technical advisors because that's our training. Yes. But to to bring it to a relatable level that's practical without too much detail um, and be then responsive to the questions that arise from what you shared, that's a very different type of skill set to have. Um, 
So in this particular case, it was in fact this idea of a trust, and the uh, client, the, the both parents were frustrated because they're like we're being asked to decide who our trustees should be, who the settler should be, who the beneficiary should be. We don't even know what those terms mean, what qualities we should be looking for in those people. Like, do they have to be here in the city? Um, so, so a lot of like really good practical questions. But as advisors, you know, we just are like, okay, we need to know who your settler trustees and beneficiaries are. And we might rattle off, you know, really quickly what those things are. But that's not helpful for making good decisions. And, um, you know, really for me, education, think about how many decisions you make from the moment (laughs) your alarm goes off in the morning, right? We are constantly making decisions. And, And so one of my big passions is to help families make good decisions. And to me, that's kind of the essence of good governance. You know, governance is a big word. What does that mean? And uh, one of my favorite um, governance people in Canada is a fellow by the name of Matt Fulbrook. And I always kind of get this a little bit twisted, but he defines, he started defining good governance as so intentionally cultivating effective conditions to make good decisions. And so for me, education is one of those conditions. You need to understand what it is you're making a decision about. Otherwise, how are you even possibly going to make a good decision? And when you start multiplying those decisions over a range of family members, never mind if it's just the parents together who are making those decisions, if they're not in alignment, right, of understanding what they're they're going through, you're going to start getting conflict, right, disagreement. And it might not be big, you know, conflict, but it's frustrating and it's unnecessary and it diverts you from the goal of making good decisions. Right. You know, those those advisors using using jargon, you know, amazing that that these people understood that they needed some of that education or uh, an outside perspective. What about and and talking a little bit more of of the frustration and some of those disagreements? You know, sometimes what I hear is the parents and and their advisors and going back to you know how that next generation understanding how to evaluate advisors, where they might feel as though, the parents' advisors and the parents did something to them versus for them. And and you mm-hmm. gave the example of an estate freeze where very much for them, but in some of those structures, it feel like, you know, controls being taken Two. away. So th- this, this evolution of the way that we work with families is so exciting. Um, and Again, not everybody's cut out to work in this space from an advisor perspective where, um, okay, so let me just say, so family meetings are really important. (laughs) Like having some kind of a consistent forum for families to talk about stuff. Um, Oftentimes, it's important that we get the advisor, uh, an advisor, multiple advisors, perhaps, um, to explain things in those family meetings. But the parents, again, aren't often the best people to help figure out who the best person is to be in the room. 
because they don't know what they don't know. So there's this role now that's evolving um, called the integrated advisor. And again, I can uh, provide you a link to a really great article by uh, um, amazing thought leader in Canada by the name of Tom McCulloch. But um, I think just kind of taking it to the most basic level, the way I like to explain it is you would never go to an architect and say, build me a house, let me know when it's done. Right? You're never going to do that. But in essence, that's what we kind of do with with advisors or like help, you know, build, you know, build me an investment policy statement, uh, do the trust, you know, draft my will, whatever you recommend, that's you know, that's a that's what I need. But if you're building a house, you if you have the opportunity to build a house from scratch, you're probably gonna want it to suit your lifestyle, right? And how many kids you have and do you have live-in care or do you want to have it adapted for you know if mo- there's mobility issues etc like there's going to be a lot of tailoring to this particular uh, home that we're going to build so so you work with the architect but you also need that general contractor right to oversee this and make sure the right people are coming in at the right time doing the right things and so this role of the integrated advisor is is kind of that for families where it's people who have a really broad range of experience, um, who know kind of all the players that are there, who um, are highly collaborative in their approach. Uh, we need that collaboration to really do the best work that we can with, with families. Um, so, so this idea of, you know, how do we find those one or two people who can be that kind of family whisperer and, you know, help them map out a learning strategy, help them find those advisors that are going to be not only technically a really good fit, but personality-wise a good fit and have this this really good collaborative muscle in their toolkit. There's there's another thing, a tool that um, has probably been out for a couple of years it's called the 10 domains of wealth. And what it does is it sets out all the domains um, that families of wealth will touch on uh, during their lifetime. And, you know, it, it applies across all, all wealth levels for sure. Um, but typically when we think about transitioning wealth, we are thinking about uh, like estate planning, um, estate planning, legal, uh, investment advisory, financial planning, insurance, right? We tend to focus on a lot of these really technical things. But for families to really flourish over generations, to be the best individually and collectively as they can be, we need to focus on other things as well. So for me, governance, we've talked about that, but governance is a really, really important piece. Um, leadership, preparation, education. Um, how do we get people ready to move into these leadership roles? Um, healthcare, um, healthcare issues, philanthropy, family dynamics issues. So, so the range of needs that families have is so much broader than, you know, just making sure my will is done or making sure that my investments are in place. So that, so this integrated advisor, general contractor kind of role 
we're going to see, I think, more and more people evolving into this is something that, you know, I want to do as an advisor. And if that's the case, then we need to step up our game as well. Right. right. And have yeah. a much broader lens and get the training and expertise and mentoring and coaching that we need to do a really great job for the families we work with. It's a fun time. It's a really fun time for advisors. And it is, I think, going to be really rewarding for advisors and especially rewarding for families as they move through a very different type of process than they've been through in the past with advisors. Cindy sounds like learning a little bit from, from some of those other industries, you know, asking the questions, as you said you know, relating it to building a house is, you know, somebody needs to be there to ask the question. Somebody needs to to really be okay with the fact that we don't know what we don't know, as you said, and mm-hmm. bring some of that forward and lay out that plan with the family. And, you know, you mentioned family meetings and and how important they are and really being on that journey together. I yeah, I mean, even if you think about family meeting, you okay, family meeting, but how do we do that? Like, what does that mean? Do we have an agenda? What would that agenda look like? Who attends the family meeting? How do we define family for purposes of family meetings is one of the first questions that I typically am asking the, you know, nuclear family. Is that going to include spouses? Is that going to include long-term partners? Who decides what long-term is? Um, what about children? Um, younger children? When do we start to include them in family meetings? And how do we get them excited about being part of this? How do we create opportunities for mentorship for them? Um, One family that I work with uh, at the family um, annual, they have an annual family assembly and the teenagers are encouraged to do presentations. It could be as simple as a project that they did at school or you know, trip that they went on that they learned something from or want to share, whatever it is, there's ways to get the the skills of learning to present, to feel comfortable getting up in front of people. I mean, that's huge. That's a really, really important skill set to have. And um, so family meetings have a lot of potential in terms of skill development, but it's also that bonding, that um, learning how to communicate um, realizing that conflict is normal um, and okay, but how do we resolve conflict in our family? How are we making decisions together? Um, those things don't just happen. It's muscles that you have to exercise and you know, ideally develop some protocols around so that you can always go back to, okay, these are our values. This is what we're all about as a family. This is the purpose that we, you know, purposes that we've articulated for our financial wealth. What are we doing with that? And how are we moving forward? It doesn't just happen. You have to put some intentionality behind it. I love that. Yep, absolutely. Cindy, a conversation's been going amazing and time <laughs> has just been flying by. Um, there's a few questions that I want to make sure that I ask and we wrap things up today in, in our episode. Questions that I ask each guest. Are you ready for the tough ones? Sure. All right. <laughs> and you may have already mentioned it, but I want to make sure that uh, you know we have the opportunity to go a bit further. What is one key strategy you believe is most essential for building a successful family enterprise? Yeah, for me, it's education. So it's got governance, um, which again, to me, is wrapped up in this whole idea of you know cultivating those effective conditions to make good decisions. That's governance. We make decisions all day, every day. 
and uh, education is a really key part of that. So education tied in as an effective condition for governance. Great. What is the most common challenge that you see family enterprises encountering when it comes to wealth transition and generational continuity? I'm going to say leaving things too late um, is a big, big challenge. Um, you know, again, this RBC report that I mentioned before, uh, 47% of people have a will in place. Only 40%, 47% of people have a will in place. And then most people think that if you've got your will, that's it. Right? That's your estate plan is, is done. Um, but it, again, this is not, um, it's nowhere near sufficient. And rarely do people actually share the contents of their wills with the rising generation or people who are going to benefit under the will. And there's if they're not sharing, there's no preparing either. So that for me is you just need to get started and it can feel really intimidating to get started, but, um, but there are people out there who are doing this kind of work or aren't doing this kind of work. Like when I say that, I'm meaning sort of this governance, this bigger picture piece, but there are allied advisors in those 10 domains areas that are like, yeah, we need, we need to put all these pieces of the puzzle together. Um, so there are resources out there and um, people should be asking for them. Absolutely. And in your experience, what are the top three key qualities that successful family enterprise leaders possess? Okay, so you won't be surprised by this one. I'm going to say they're lifelong learners. <laughs> yep. So, you know, I've said, I think enough about, about education and decision making, but they're also really great listeners. Um, so listening to, you know, not listening to wait for your turn to respond, like when, when's the other person taking a breath, but really listening to what the person is saying, listening for the emotion behind the words, um, trying really to understand and appreciating that people come with different perspectives and that's okay. Right. Um, so that whole communication piece is really important. And then I've talked a bit about this idea of collaboration. And there's, um, again, through that Purposeful Planning Institute, there was a podcast I was on I think one day, and I wasn't speaking, I was just listening to it. And somebody said collaboration, something like collaboration is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. <laughs> so I really like that idea of and collaboration is very different from a handoff. Like we all work with, you know, advisors in our world. Um, whether we're in this space or not, we work with other people. And we, I think if you actually stop and reflect, you'd be pretty clear on the difference between a handoff. Like it's like, okay, I'm done with this now. This is over to you versus a really collaborative type of approach to, um, you know, where this needs to go next. Okay. Continuing to touch base. It's a, it's a very different type of, of approach. Um, and along with that, I think, goes like the willingness to compromise, to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not the smartest person in the room. Um, I'm going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. That's okay. What have we learned from that? How do we move on? So I think those would be my three. Lifelong learning, great listening, collaborative mindset. Awesome. Before we conclude our discussions, 
today, I'd like to highlight some of the work uh, where our listeners can engage in more com uh, conversations with you or the conversations you're having, Cindy. Uh, you're you're the Chief Learning Officer for, for Tamarin Learning Canada. Uh, could you give a quick overview of the resources that are available to, to families here? Oh, yeah. So Tamarind Learning, uh, if you're in Canada, go to tamarindlearning.ca. Tamarindlearning.ca, uh, you'll see a resources tab, and there's all kinds of um, podcasts and webinars in there as well. But there's also tools. So one of the things that we talked about was this, what's in it for me? And, and so there's workbooks in there for people to go in and do a little assessment and see, okay, where, you know, where am I on a, say, a scale of one to five on these key learnings that, um, that I should, you know, have in my toolkit as a, as a wealth holder. Um, and, um, and then Tamron Learning itself is a online learning platform. Um, so anybody who's interested in having a look at that or learning more about that, certainly welcome to reach out to me um, and I can help help them get, um, get get a bit more into it, do a demonstration and see what, what it's all about. But really it's that, again, being strategic and intentional about the learning, uh, recognizing that people have different learning styles. Uh, everything is audio as well as visual with gamification, like it's made interesting. Um, and people can learn asynchronously. So if family members, as they often are now, are spread throughout the country or the world, uh, there's still an opportunity for them to learn together, um, but on their own uh, time. Great. Yes, lots of, of great content in those modules that you've created in there and can seem a little daunting, but I think that workbook that you mentioned, great place and, and great resource uh, to get started. Now, Cindy, you've also written a chapter in a collaborative book with tools uh, for multi-generational wealth building in family business. Your chapter was is titled Intellectual Capital, the Key to Good Governance in Family Enterprises. Uh, can you provide a, a quick overview of the chapter and uh, and when our listeners can, can get their hands on that? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked probably about um, quite a bit of my my sentiment, my, <laughs> my feelings about education and governance in the podcast today. Um, the, the, the book is really helping people focus on this idea that financial capital is one piece of capital, but there's all these other types of qualitative capital. And for me, intellectual capital is, is really foundational. And so the chapter is, is on that, some of the stuff that we've talked about today why is education important? How, you know, how do we move forward with education? What are some of the hurdles? And, um, and really just creating those great opportunities for families to begin and continue along their governance journey very intentionally. Great. The book is, is called Rising the, the Boab. And I think out later this year, Cindy, uh, yeah, so Titi Mutendi is um, the woman who's brainstormed this and has um, a highly collaborative effort. I was delighted to have been into, uh, asked to, to provide a chapter. So uh, her timing with the publisher is for later in November, and certainly it will be available on Amazon, but to watch, to watch for that 
will help people dig more into other types of qualitative capital as well, because different advisors will come at that with a different lens. Great. I wanted to make sure that we've covered everything. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience that we didn't get a chance to touch on? Oh gosh, there's so there's so many things in this space. I think just really to encourage people to get proactive. It's September, it's fall, everybody's back at school. We're kind of past the summer, the summer lull. Um, you know, listening to the podcasts, you know, that you're doing and having conversations um, with your advisors. Am I doing everything that I can or should be doing to get my my Gen 2s prepared for inheriting this wealth and and starting to take steps to do that. Those are my parting thoughts. Great. Well, thank you, Cindy, for taking the time to share your expertise and experience with us today. Uh, your insights have been incredibly valuable, uh, and we're grateful for your contribution to this episode. Thank you. It was a pleasure being with you today. Today, we had the privilege of diving deep into the world of family wealth with Cindy Radu. I hope you found this conversation as enlightening and valuable as I did. Throughout our discussion, Cindy shared incredible insights and strategies for building successful family enterprises and leaving a lasting legacy. We explored the significance of lifelong learning for personal growth and finding individual motivation for education. Emphasis was on the importance of financial literacy in effective wealth management, particularly in family enterprises where understanding basic financial concepts and structures is a necessity. We discussed education as an empowering force and crucial element in aligning generations for successful wealth transition. It's these valuable insights that can truly make a difference in your own journey to legacy building. I want to express my deepest gratitude to Cindy for generously sharing her time, expertise, and knowledge with us. Her expertise in family wealth transition brings a unique perspective to our exploration of family enterprises. Her insights have provided us with actionable strategies to take control of our wealth and build a lasting legacy. If you'd like to learn more about Cindy and her services, you can learn more at cindyredu.com. I highly encourage you to connect with Cindy and explore how her expertise can support your family enterprise on its path to success. Thank you for joining me, Corey Gagnon, your host of Legacy Builders Podcast. It's my personal passion to explore with you these topics related to family wealth. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. And don't forget to share this episode with family, friends, and colleagues who you care about. If you'd like to help support this show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review. If you have any questions about anything shared on today's episode or have topics you'd like us to dive deeper into in future episodes, please let us know by emailing beaconfamilyoffice at asante.com. That's beaconfamilyoffice at A-S-S-A-N-T-E dot com.
Legacy Builders, Strategies for Building Successful Family Enterprises is brought to you by Beacon Family Office at Asante. Are you worried about losing what you've created and seeking ways to transition your wealth across generations? Beacon Family Office at Asante supports our clients transition their wealth while maintaining relationships. If you'd like to access more content we've created, you can visit us at beaconfamilyoffice.com or for more details on our services and book an initial call. Thanks again for listening. And until next episode, stay intentional about building your legacy. This program was prepared by Corey Gagnon, who is a senior wealth advisor with Beacon Family Office at Asante Financial Management Limited. This is not an official program of Asante Financial Management, and the statements and opinions expressed during this podcast are not necessarily those of Asante Financial Management. This show is intended for general information only and may not apply to all listeners or investors. Please obtain professional financial advice or contact us at beaconfamilyoffice at asante.com or visit beaconfamilyoffice.com to discuss your particular circumstances prior to acting on the information presented.